Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This episode I'm going to take us to the 1960s, 70s. It may be a little bit shorter as it's been a crazy busy month. However, stick with us as I'm sure I have definitely provided you all with worse and you've listened to them. So this episode is about Graham Frederick Young, also known as the Teacup Poisoner. Caitlin, have you heard of this one before? I have no idea what you're talking about. Sounds about right. There's no change yeah, there. I've got absolutely <laughs> no idea where this is going. Okay, well, it can take us anywhere, so I will just begin. Graham Frederick Young was born in, I want to say Neesden in North London. Again, though, you know Caitlin and I can't pronounce anything. So that's where he was born on the 7th of September 1947 to Fred and Bessie Young. Unfortunately, his mother developed pleurisy during pregnancy and died of tuberculosis three months after her son's birth. Fred Young was devastated by her death and the infant was put into the care of his aunt Winnie while his elder sister, Winifred, was taken in by her grandparents. So the children, they were split up. The young Graham spent the first two years of his life with his aunt and her husband, Jack, and he became very close to them, as you would, because they're the first years of his life. When his father remarried in 1950, though, he reunited the family again in St Albans with his new wife, Molly. And Graham showed visible signs of distress at being separated from his aunt, which you can kind of understand because he probably would have thought of her as a mother figure at that time. He went on to become a rather peculiar kid and he was very solitary in his habits and he made no effort to socialise with others his own age. When he was old enough to read, he favoured sensationalist non-fiction accounts of murders and Dr Crippen, who was the infamous poisoner, and he he was a particular favourite of Graham's. By the time he reached his teens, he had developed an unhealthy fascination with Adolf Hitler and took to wearing swastikas, extolling the virtues of a misunderstood Hitler to anyone who would listen. He also read widely on the occult, claiming knowledge of Wiccans and local covens, tried to involve local children in bizarre occult ceremonies, which involved sacrificing a cat on one occasion. The subsequent disappearance, though, of a number of local cats around the same time may have pointed to a more regular occurrence of these sacrificial ceremonies. Academically, though, his only interests were chemistry, forensic science and toxicology. But the limited school coverage of these subjects forced him to advance his studies through extracurricular reading, because as you do in school, it's not like chemistry, forensic science and toxicology is a huge part. Now his father encouraged him though, buying Young a chemistry set, which absorbed his attention for hours at a time. By the age of 13, Young's comprehensive knowledge of toxicology enabled him to convince local chemists that he was in fact 17 and he procured a dangerous quantity of the poisons antimony, digitalis and arsenic for study purposes, as well as quantities of the heavy metal thallium. 
Keen to put all of this knowledge of poisons to the test, his first victim was fellow science pupil Christopher Williams, who suffered an extended period of vomiting, painful cramps and headaches due to the administration by Young of a cocktail of poisons that left medical experts baffled because they didn't have a clue what was going on. Now, Williams was lucky to survive probably because Young couldn't fully satisfy his scientific curiosity. So he was monitoring the illness of his victim. When he was sick at home, he couldn't have done that. So he was doing it in school, but when he was off ill, how, how are you supposed to either add more poison or just, you know, kind of write down what's happening? So he decided to focus on a group to whom he had unlimited access, his own family. Now, when the family began to show inter intermittent signs of poisoning during the early part of 1961, Young's father initially sus suspected that Young might be just harming the family by careless use of his chemistry set at home, so not on purpose. But Young, he denied the accusation. The potential for deliberate poisoning was never considered, especially as Young had also been ill on a number of occasions. Now, it remains unclear whether this was by design, you know, just to avoid detection or through scientific interest in his own reaction or just carelessness of exactly which teacups he had been poisoning. Now, when Young's elder sister, Winifred, was found by doctors to have been poisoned by Belladonna in November 1961, Young's father again suspected him but took no action. Molly Young, his stepmother, became the concerted focus on Young's attention, gradually becoming more ill until finally on the 21st of April 1962 she was found by her husband writhing in agony in the back garden of their home with Young looking on in fascination. She was rushed to hospital where she died later that night. Her cause of death was determined as a prolapse of a spinal bone and she was cremated which was not surprisingly at Young's suggestion of having her cremated and not buried, but with no further action taken at that time. It was later discovered that she developed a tolerance to the antimony, which Young had been slowly poisoning her with, and so he switched to thallium that night of her death, just to speed up the process. There were even reports of further nausea and vomiting attacks at her funeral, and clearly the death of his stepmother had not dulled Young's scientific curiosity because he was clearly putting those things in teacups at his the funeral to test other people. Now, following Molly's death, Fred Young's attacks of vomiting and cramping, they became more frequent and increasingly severe, and he was also admitted to hospital where he was diagnosed with antimony poisoning. He was lucky to have survived his son's experimentation, but he couldn't accept that it would have been his son's responsibility. He just thought it couldn't have been possible that his son was doing this on purpose. So that role fell to Young's school chemistry teacher, who contacted the police when he discovered poisons and copious materials about poisoners in Young's school desk. Now, Young was sent to a police psychiatrist where his huge knowledge of poisons soon became apparent. And Young was arrested on the 23rd of May, 1962. He admitted the poisoning of his father, sister and school friend Williams, but no murder charges were brought against him for the murder of his stepmother, as any evidence had been destroyed at the time of her cremation. Still only 
14 years old, he was committed to Broadmoor Maximum Security Hospital and he was the youngest inmate since 1885 for a minimum period of 15 years. Incarceration barely dampened his enthusiasm for experimentation and within weeks the death of an inmate John Berridge by cyanide poisoning had prison authorities baffled. Young claimed to have extracted cyanide from Laurel bush leaves, but his confession wasn't taken seriously and Berridge's death was recorded as a suicide. On other accusations, staff and inmates, drinks were found to have been tampered with, including the introduction of an abrasive sodium compound, commonly called sugar soap, which is used for preparing painted walls back in the day. And it was taken put into tea and it could have caused a mass poisoning had it not been discovered. He continued to read widely about poisoning, although he began to keep his obsession increasingly well hidden when authorities made it clear that appearing less obsessed would speed up his release. So this is a very smart young boy. By the late 1960s, Young's doctors seemed oblivious to his continued fatal fascination and recommended in June 1970 that he be released as he had been in quotes, cured. Young celebrated by informing a psychiatric nurse, psychiatric nurse that he intended to kill one person for every year he had been in Broadmoor. And that comment was recorded on his file, but amazingly never influenced the decision to actually release him. So when Young was released on the 4th of February 1971, he was now aged 23. He went to stay in a hostel but had contact with his sister Winifred, who had moved to Hemel Hampstead following her marriage. Despite actually having been poisoned by him, she was more forgiven than her father, who initially wanted nothing to do with his son. She was concerned by his fixation with his crimes, and he took great delight in visiting the scenes of his past crimes, thriving on the reaction of his old neighbours in Neesden when they recognised who he was. He made trips to London where he stocked up on the antimony, thallium and other poisons required for experiments and a fellow hostel resident, 34-year-old Trevor Sparks, was soon exhibiting the familiar cramps and sickness associated with any proximity to young. Another man he befriended experienced such agony that he took his own life, although no connection to young was established at the time. Young found work at a store Sorry, he found work as a storeman at John Hadland Laboratories, which is a photographic supply firm in Bovingdon, Hertfordshire, where his new employers were aware of his Broadmoor stay, but not his history as a poisoner. Now, there might have been more reservations giving the easy availability of poisons such as thallium, because that was routinely used in photographic processes. But he had, in any case, already secured his poison supplies from all of these London pharmacies that even if he didn't have this job, he would have had enough poisons anyway. Now, his willingness to make tea and coffee for his co-workers raised absolutely no concerns because, as you know, it was great getting a cup of tea made for you. So when Young's boss, 59-year-old Bob Eggle, began to experience severe cramps and dizziness, it was attributed to a virus thought to be doing the rounds, known locally as a Bovington bug, which had affected a number of local school children. 
Other handland workers complained of similar cramps, but none were ever as severe as Eggles, who, curiously, seemed to recover when off ill, but instantly became sicker than ever on his return to work. He was eventually admitted to hospital, where he died in agony on the 7th of July, 1971. His cause of death was recorded as pneumonia. I'm really interested to, like, I don't know if you know, what symptoms did they have? Because I think the most common symptoms of poisoning are, like, nausea and vomiting and, like, rashes, etc. But, like, with pneumonia, that's different. So that's why I was just wondering, like, did they all have similar symptoms, do you know? Or, like, was it a specific symptom? I don't know as such. I think the most common one out of them all was the vomiting and the the bug and the severe cramps so I don't know how right, it yeah, was yeah. recorded as pneumonia I think it was either just kind of like a you know like a not an oversight but a, oh well it clearly can't be that so it has to be this um I think a lot of the things where he was just practically getting away with murder um and records and all that just weren't checked if that makes sense yeah sorry sorry that makes total sense yeah in September 1971, 60-year-old 60 60 year Fred Biggs began to suffer similar symptoms to Eggle and generally absenteeism at Handland increased dramatically, with employees suffering a variety of unusual and debilitating ailments, including the usual cramps. But this one as well, also hair loss and sexual dysfunction. So various sources were considered, including water contamination, radioactive fallout and leakage of the chemicals used at the firm itself, but no real progress was made towards the cause. Biggs was eventually admitted to the London Hospital for nervous diseases, but took a long time to die, a cause of some frustration to Young, who recorded his displeasure in his diary. But he eventually passed away on the 19th of November 1971 in excruciating pain. So again, that was just like... Um, his co-worker so that's and his stepmom and everyone as well so again that's a common symptom now this second death raised great concern within the firm and by this stage about 70 employees had recorded similar symptoms and there were fears for personal safety the doctor on site tried to reassure staff by insisting that health and safety rules were being strictly adhered to and he was taken aback when young challenged him in front of his colleagues quizzing him on why thallium poison had not been considered as a cause, considering that it was used in the photographic process. Now also remember, this is the 70s, health and safety isn't what it is today. But the doctor was surprised at the in-depth toxicological, so that was not in English, toxicological, is that the right, am I saying that right, Caitlin? Eh, uh, toxicological. <laughs> Is that a word? I think so. Anyway, Are you sure? Maybe not. It's a one word and that we can't pronounce. So I'll just say the doctor was very surprised <laughs> that like he knew so much. Toxological? Toxological. Like toxo and then logical? Yeah. Toxicological. Right. No, stop saying the O. Toxic. Toxicological. It's got an O between toxic and logical. But I think it's more like toxical. Toxical. <laughs> right, uh-huh. He knew a lot about it. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. And so that brought it to the attention of management, finally, who in turn alerted the police. 
So subsequent forensic inquiries revealed the thallium poisoning. The first recorded case of deliberate poisoning by this heavy metal ever recorded. So Young's poison conviction was soon unearthed, as were his collection of poisons and meticulous diaries, recording explicit dosages administered to individuals and their reactions to the dosage over time. So it's not something that Young was trying to hide. He was taking diaries. Like, he was writing diaries about the whole thing. Now, Young was arrested in Sheerness in Kent on the 21st of November 1971, where he had been visiting his father. A quantity of thallium was found on his person. Under interrogation, he admitted verbally to the poisonings, but refused to sign a written admission of guilt. He clearly relished all the kind of notoriety that his day in court would afford him because he was... a just like your kind of usual serial killer, he loved the attention. So Young's trial commenced on the 19th of June 1972 at St Albans Crown Court and he was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder and two counts of administering poison. Young pleaded not guilty and seemed confident that he would be acquitted as his previous convictions could not be entered into evidence and he felt it would be impossible to identify him as the only person with the means to poison his two colleagues. Now he was delighted at the media hype that surrounded his trial and he did his best to appear sinister in an attempt to kind of unnerve the jury and assembled gallery and he was reportedly less than thrilled with the name the teacup poisoner which I guess you kind of would you wouldn't really want that name because he wanted to kind of be known as the world poisoner he felt that was more appropriate because of his um, skill and his knowledge and everything on poisoning so he didn't take lightly to that he also hadn't reckoned with the advances made in forensic science in the decade since the death of his stepmother. However, the effect that the reading of tracts in his diary, in which he cold-bloodedly lists the effect of his poisons, would have on the jury. And he was found guilty on all charges on the 29th of June 1972, receiving four life sentences. Now, when the jury were appraised of his previous conviction, Apprised of his previous conviction, sorry, and his release as a cured mental patient only months before the crimes took place, they recommended an urgent review of the law regarding the public sale of poisons. So the Home Secretary also announced an immediate review of the control, treatment, assessment and release of mentally unstable prisoners, despite the fact that Young had been regarded as legally sane during his trial. The Avold Arvold report published in January 1973 led to the reform of the way these prisoners were monitored upon release and resulted in the creation of the Advisory Board for Restricted Patients. When asked where, whether he felt any remorse over his killings, he said to have replied, what I feel is the emptiness of my soul. Young was incarcerated at the maximum security Parkhurst prison on the Isle of Wight, which was a home to Britain's most serious criminals, usually reserved for those with severe mental conditions. Here, he befriended Moore's murderer Ian Brady, who became infatuated with the 24-year-old, although the attraction was not reciprocated. 
Brady described Young as genuinely asexual, excited only by power, clinical experimentation, observation and death. They spent considerable amounts of time together. They played chess and they bonded over their fascination with Nazi Germany. And Young regularly supported a Hitler moustache. Young was thrilled when a waxwork of himself was added to the Madame Tussauds Chamber of Horrors, alongside his boyhood hero, Dr Crippen. Young died in his cell at Parkhurst on the 1st of August 1990, aged only 42. The official cause of death was heart failure, although there remains kind of suspicion that fellow inmates who, with the exception of Brady, obviously, were always extremely wary of him, so they may have poisoned him. Or, alternatively, he could have grew, grown tired of prison life and he may have poisoned himself, you know, just in one final hurrah and a gesture of control. Now, Young's worldwide notoriety brought the effectiveness of thallium as a deadly poison into focus for the first time. It was used extensively as a coating on US missiles fired during the first Gulf War to devastating effect. Now, in 1995, a black comedy about Young's life entitled The Young Poisoner's Handbook was also released in cinemas. And in November 2005, a 16-year-old Japanese schoolgirl was arrested for poisoning her mother with thallium. Now, she claimed to be fascinated by Young, having seen that film in 1995, and she kept an online blog similar to Young's diary, recording dosages and all the reactions of her mum. Now, I believe either her mum was in a coma for, for years and years and years, and she's either, I couldn't find anything else, she's either passed away or she still remains in this coma. Now, that's something that happened because of Young and with all these things, you know, when we all write things about serial killers, etc, etc. People become fascinated on it, just like Young did with the Doctor. And that's the story of Graham Young. I don't know what I was expecting, but I don't think it was that. Yeah, me neither. He's so notorious that we don't think know about him. <laughs> I was really picturing like some sort of OAP murder here. And I was really excited thinking like this is going to be so rogue. But actually, how is that not more heard? Yeah, well, he's very notorious. There's been a film about him and everything, Caitlin. I think we are the problem. 